street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. Please follow me on Twitter at MagnaBosco or on Facebook and YouTube at MagnaBosco210. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. getting ready uh started here in a few minutes we've been asked um asking people to submit their questions so if you still have uh, a question that you would like to ask anthony go ahead and put it into the chat um so that you're put on the list and then john um the stay-at-home atheist will uh tell you uh what if you're up next what position you're in um just so you can prepare so um anthony if you um we got a couple minutes in, but we'll start with uh, you telling um, a little bit about yourself. So if you want to prepare your speech. My speech? I wasn't prepared to make a speech. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, man, I'm so excited to be here. I love the atheist community of Austin. I've, I've had the pleasure of being on the atheist experience twice and talk heathen twice. And oh my gosh, Discord, I'm relatively new to it. I've been trying to get familiar with it on the Street Epistemology Discord server. And uh, I think I'm kind of getting the hang of it. And I'm really excited to be here. Um, I was given permission, and let me know if that's changed, uh, Janet. But I believe I have per permission to record this, and I'll try to take the most interesting questions and responses perhaps and try to release them on the street epistemology podcast so thank you so much for having me here i'm really excited to be here and talk about one of my favorite topics which is street epistemology yes we actually um did announce that we will be recording this which is unusual for us we don't usually allow it but we are allowing for this so that you can release it and um everyone um, has been told so they can opt to either put their question in and ask it themselves, knowing that their voice uh, may be in a recording or actually will be in a recording. Or if they don't feel comfortable with that, they can send the question into the chat mm -hmm. and someone will read the question for them. Okay. So yeah, um, yeah we, we, should be, we should be covered there. Um, I actually have a question for you um, before we start. So this is a pre-question question. And um, I've uh, asked, asked it of Dan, um, and I've asked it of your friend Ty, so now I'm going to ask it of you. Um, and this is actually Ty's idea, so I'm stealing it from him. Can street epistemology be used to gently question things besides your deeply held beliefs, such as strongly held opinions? Mm. I think it probably could, although SE seems to be best when we're talking about a fact claim. So for example, I don't know if this, this question sounds familiar. So I, I feel like I've, uh, I've overheard it or responded to it similarly, but so forgive me if this is a repeat or it appears that I'm copying somebody's answer, but I would much rather talk about mm, rather than somebody's favorite ice cream, right? Like they say vanilla is the best ice cream. It, <laughs> yes, we could probably SE that, but what might be more interesting is whether they made a fact claim about the ice cream. Like, uh, can I, I give you my example? Sure. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't hear anything. Um, my example was a um, comment of the military 
uh, just being in the military does not make you a hero. That was the, mm -hmm. the opinion. So it wasn't something as benign as like, you know, a favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm trying to start with a, like a simple basic one and we could probably move to that one. So like to, to go, let me just finish the, the ice cream example. Then I'll switch to the, to the hero. Sure, I'm sorry. So what would be a, probably a more interesting question to explore would be if the claim was, I think a vanilla ice cream is the healthiest ice cream around. Right, like that's a factual claim about reality that we can explore. Whether someone, you know, somebody thinks that vanilla is their is their favorite, well, like that that I don't know, like I don't really see the value in exploring that. But when it's a fact made about reality, a, a factual claim made about reality, then it's interesting. So regarding your your scenario about what was it? Um, just because you're in the military doesn't mean you're a hero. Was that it? Correct. That was the that was the comment. Yeah. That I was trying to see if what you could use street epistemology on it. One of the very first things I would ask a person who made that claim is, "What do you mean by hero?" So, according to your definition, your definition might be something like, uh, "A hero is somebody who has made a sacrifice, a very uh, costly sacrifice in their life." And then once we have that definition, we can explore, well, is it possible for somebody to be in the military and actually um, have made a sacrifice, that type of thing. So I, I, I think it's probably worth exploring. So the answer is you you could. I think the so. The answer is you, you could if you came to a common definition of what you wanted to explore, that you could use street epistemology on a... Um, a not a deeply held belief, but a strongly held strongly held opinion mm -hmm. you can make the I and mean, it sounds like you could i think i think somebody could make the case that we all have opinions about facts so if you if you look at it that way sure you can you can engage in a conversation about somebody's opinion that something is factually true but i think we're kind of splitting hairs here um yeah i i, I think that there's so many things other than just whether you think that a god is real or not that you can use se for Great pre-question too, by the way. And now, how does this work? Um, I noticed that, like, right there, we were just kind of talking over each other. Did we just cancel each other out, or who wins in that situation? Um, I'm trying to, after I finish, um, like my question or whatever, to mute myself so that I, uh, so the no noise comes out of my microphone that, to go over you. Um, I think we had a bit of a delay there for a little bit um, that was uh, causing us not to be able to hear the other person talking. Okay. Um, so that hopefully will be resolved. But the um, the way this will work is that the uh, chatters have put in the, their questions, and they've been selected by another member of um, the team, um, John, and he will let me know who's next, and then that person is selected. Will they'll come in, unmute, ask their question, and then they'll remute. Oh, nice. And then so you can answer. And if you have additional questions for them, you know, they'll, they can unmute themselves at that point. Okay. That sounds great. And I'll try to ride the mute button on my end as well here. Oh, I, yeah, you don't have to mute at all. You can, you can, you can be unmuted as much as you'd like. Okay. Well, in that case, then I'll just keep it off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So, uh, looks like the first one is, um, Rivendell. Is that uh, correct? 
Okay. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your guys' uh, usernames, by the way. And did he leave the chat? He must have, because I don't see him. Okay, so um, we're going to go with... I just don't see the names in here. Um, Dinosaur is going to go first, and you're unmuted. Hello, Dinosaur. Please go ahead with your question. Why is it unmuting? Sorry. That's just fine. one second. My, my computer is locked up. Just one second. No problem. And by the way, I'm not looking at the Q&A chat. I, I tend to get distracted when that stuff's going on. So I'm, I'm going to leave it up to the uh, moderators to sort through that stuff. Uh, if nobody minds, since Janet's going to try to work this out, um, I'm the one taking the questions. Uh, so I, we did have someone in AstroCar who um, was going to be unable to actually be in voice. And Astro wanted to know... Um, what impresses you with how street epistemology has changed over the years and where do you see se in another five or ten years damn that is a good question wow okay well se has come a hell of a long way in five years and i can only imagine where it will be in another five the thing that is making street epistemology better i think is the 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 interest that it's gaining and the feedback that we're getting from folks. So participating in discussions like this or looking at comments on my video or even just looking at my email inbox or my Twitter, what are people complaining about? What are people gushing about because they love? What are people worried about? Um, these are all things that give the practitioners and promoters of street epistemology ammunition and, and food, things that help us grow and get better at this. So... My goodness, um, <laughs> when, I, when I first started going out and doing SE, I was asking people if they wanted to talk about their God belief and just asking people to stop and chat about that one specific thing. It became pretty evident early on that you can use this approach for pretty much any topic. And um, Janet's example there at the start was a good example. So not limiting yourself to a specific topic, I think, is one way that we're going to grow. This needs to blow out well beyond the atheist community as well. And I think seeing diversity in the practitioners, the people who are initiating talks, recording them and uploading them, they're, they're coming from all around the world from different perspectives, uh, different outlooks. And I think that is going to be a big strength of this method going forward. So um, I, I'm so I'm so happy with where we've well, where we've started, where we are today and where we're going. Um, on top of that, I, I would like to see us maybe become a little bit more formalized, like putting down some three or four things that define what SE actually is. Right now it's nebulous and that's good because it's, it maybe is not discouraging people from getting into it. However, we might need to actually kind of develop some standards as far as like what is SE and what is not SE. And perhaps even we've actually talked about forming some sort of organization, kind of like the atheist community of Austin, but for street epistemology. 
where we have an organizational structure that can manage funds and develop some standards and that type of thing. So I think the, I think the, uh, the future is very bright for SE. I'm really happy with where we started, where we are today, and where we're going. That was a great question too, by the way. And I hope I answered it all. If not, uh, hit me up again. Okay, next is gonna be Pine Snake. Hi, see how you did? Good, but your name is scaring me, Pine Snake. <laughs> Ooh, and I think I, saw, uh, I may have saw, seen you online somewhere elsewhere too, maybe on the SE Discord. I'm not sure. Yes, I am there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm not stalking or anything, honest. No, no, no. That's okay. um, my question. My question is kind of a follow-on to what John was saying at the beginning. Um, like if SE was useful in other situations other than talking to theists, like racist, sexist, homophobics, uh, transformics, etc. And if it could be, um, have you tried it and how will you say it could be successful? Mm. Okay, so I am desperately trying to have different conversations other than God claims. I try to encourage my conversation partner to pick a topic that might be a little bit different. So I, I say we can talk about politics or social issues, that type of thing. You want to talk about black lives matter or black lives don't matter or that type of that type of stuff. But it's interesting. Very few people want to talk about that stuff. And I don't know if it's because they're afraid that it's going to get ugly. So they choose us. It's, it's, it's actually kind of ironic because they tend to pick the, the God claims, the, the, or at the very least, the supernatural stuff. I wish I had more examples for you of discussions where it is uh, social, social issues like um, transgender rights or gay marriage, that type of thing, gun control. Uh, I don't want to lead people to topics for one thing. So if they're not interested in going in that direction, I don't push them. But if they are in the rare in the rare situation where they'd want to talk about voter registration identification, I'll go there. I'll try to talk with them about it. Um, okay, thank you. Sure, sure. Thanks for the question. And and you know this kind of ties into the first the first question too about where is SE going? This is a raw, untapped market for anyone looking to get into SE and put a new a, a unique twist on it. Go to a political rally or go to, go to a rally where somebody protesting against gay rights or protesting for gay rights. These would be wonderful venues to go. And as long as you can pull people away from the chaos of the, of the actual event, you can probably have a really good talk about that topic. I don't see a lot of people uploading video examples. They're probably having conversations about these things, but we don't have any really good visible video examples of it and and that would be just really exciting for people to start uploading if they could okay thank you pine snake um we have a question that is going to be read instead of uh, voice so i'll go ahead and read it to you it's from ravendall and um it's kind of directed to you or towards you as a um frequent guest on AXP, so it's more, I guess, of an opinion. <laughs> Why is abortion such a hot topic on the atheist experience, yet euthanasia is not? Is it because one is legal and one isn't? Because I'm pretty sure the Bible slash church has a pretty strong stance against both. Oh, God. I, I, I shake my head when I see topic. 
I <laughs> I watch the Atheist Experience a lot. I watch. Uh, I try to catch the episodes of Talk Heathen, and any of those other new shows that are coming out. Uh, on on the Atheist Experience and Talk Heathen, I just don't understand why that keeps coming up. It just doesn't seem like a that topic just doesn't seem like a good fit. It's not my show. They they those hosts decide to take those calls in. If I was controlling the phones and and deciding you know what topic to talk about on the Atheist Experience. I wouldn't talk about abortion. I don't think it's really, it's not, I, I don't see the relevance of it. Um, plus also like, you know, I'm, I'm a male. I don't, you know, <laughs> I, these are, these are questions that I think females should probably, should probably answer. Now I do have opinions on it, but, uh, but I sometimes shake my head at the topics that come up. Why is it brought up more than euthanasia? You'd probably have to ask the callers that are calling in. Maybe more people are just, they, they've seen the topic come up in the past and they think it's an acceptable topic and they, and they call in. If somebody were to call about euthanasia, maybe more people would call in to talk about it. I hope not. Like those are just topics that I just, I just don't see them being a good fit for that show. Maybe Talk Heathen. I think Talk Heathen is maybe a little bit more broad in terms of the topics that they accept, but for an atheist themed show. You know, unless it could be positioned from a religious perspective, I'm holding this view because I think God exists, then we might have something to talk about. But yeah, I'm kind of left scratching my head on that one. I'm not really sure why those topics keep coming up. I would just like to clarify for the uh, uh, member who asked that, that the um, ACA has a position statement on reproductive rights which is possibly why the uh, hosts take the calls mm. because they have an official stance oh, okay. on, um, on reproductive rights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. And do they, if they, if they, do they have a stance on euthanasia too? Are you aware? Well, I mean, they, they have a stance on bodily autonomy, so I would imagine it would be, um, mm -hmm. they don't directly have one on, on, uh, euthanasia, but, um, because they're, their position on reproductive rights is bodily autonomy. I would imagine the same would hold true hmm. um, for for euthanasia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know the the, the atheist experience uh, talking then any any of the atheist productions I have nothing to do with them. Um, they, they they are kind enough to invite me on, and um, I'm friends with many of the of the hosts and the people behind the scenes. But I have no say as far as uh, you know what topics are covered and what is off limits and what is what is acceptable conversation for those shows. Okay, we have a question from the Stone Turtle. He wants also wants them to be read. Do you believe the core method of SE would work in a setting similar to the atheist experience? Mm. And then a follow-up question is, would people calling in somewhat prepared for this type of conversation or aren't able to see, read the person, affect the effectiveness? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a topic that's come up quite a bit, especially as, uh, as Dan has been gearing up for his show, Truth Wanted, which from my understanding is going to be a pretty heavily themed or heavily inspired, heavily SE-inspired show, I think. So yeah, this this is something that we've discussed in the past. I've even had talks with Matt about it, Matt Dillahunty, where how would this work? How does it work when somebody might be more prepared for a discussion as opposed to somebody going for a hike and then being asked to talk about why they think their God is real? 
I think that the Colin show presents some unique advantages and disadvantages. Uh, disadvantages probably would be something like, yes, you can't see the person per se, unless they add some sort of video component to it. You can't see the, 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 the reactions to it. Um, I don't think being prepared is a disadvantage. I think that that would be an advantage. The idea of SE is to determine how the person figured out that what they think is true is really true. So a more prepared caller or interlocutor is a good thing. It's not like, uh, it's not like an unprepared person is a required component for effective SE or anything like that. That's, I could see how people might get that impression from the examples that are being uploaded, but no, I, I don't see that as a disadvantage. Another, an advantage of it, I think, could be when a caller calls a show that is going the SE route, maybe you can knock a few easy things out of the way. Perhaps the call screener could ask the caller, what do you believe? What's the main reason why? And how sure are you on a skill from zero to 100 that it's true? And maybe even ask them if they think truth is objective or not. Knock out some of the basics before the caller even joins and the host can look at that list and then decide which caller to take. And it can really streamline the conversation. So I think that there are some 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 uh, opportunities, I think, to uh, to having a show that's about that's sort of more SE themed and not just all about atheism. And on top of that, you don't have to limit the calls to just what the platform, what the ACA platform is, or what what uh, about God or anything like that. Any truth claim, I think, could be examined, and that's kind of why I, that's one of the reasons why I'm very excited about Dan's show coming up. Truth Wanted. We're all excited for that show. Yeah, it's uh, Dan's doing a great job, trained very well. Um, D I R Dur. I'm not sure actually how he pronounces it, but you're. Go ahead, Dur. Hey there. There you are. You're on. Oh, you lit up, but uh, okay. While we you. while we wait for him, I'll ask you another question that was sent um, okay, for sure. us to read. Yeah. As you've practiced and improved your skills with straight straight epistemology, were there any mistakes that you found particularly hard to avoid? Or are there mistakes you see people making while they're practicing straight epistemology? Mm. Yeah, that's also a very good question. Street epistemology is technically is not that difficult. You're asking questions, you're listening, you're repeating back and you're asking more questions. And you try to stay calm in the process. But the execution of it can be really challenging. And I think it does take a lot of time to to recognize, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, ditches in the road or potholes in the road and navigating, you know, not, not taking the bait or getting driven into the weeds of a conversation. So, my goodness. Um, I just kind of went blank on the on the question. Could you refresh my memory again, Janet? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. It says, um, I wanted to know if you found any mistakes that you found hard to avoid when ah. you're practicing it, or mm -hmm. have you, there are other mistakes that you've observed other people making. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, for the longest time, I 
felt uncomfortable for my conversation partner when I would ask them a question that they were struggling to answer. And rather than, rather than, rather than watch them struggle and quietly think about the question, I would usually interrupt and ask them another question or, or suggest an answer for them. So that was one thing to, uh, to try to avoid, you know, to try to really learn to not do just letting that pause sit with a person and not stepping on the pause. That's probably a big one. Another thing too is trying not to let my own views on the claim affect the conversation. Even if they were saying something that I found offensive, like here's a big one that you can't be good unless you believe in a God. You have no place at all raising kids if you're not going to raise them in the loving arms of Jesus or something like that. That is a tough thing to set aside because I know firsthand that that's not true. So it's tough to set aside your views, your biases. Now, as far as things that other people are doing that, that I, that I see frequently that might be problematic is, um, well, it's the usual it's, it's walking on those pauses. Um, maybe, uh, not listening close enough to, to form a, another, to form a good question might be another thing that I see perhaps, uh, maybe mimicking videos of talks that you may have seen too closely where, um, it might seem that you're, um, you're following a script or you're, you're mimicking, um, you know, other practitioners of the method, like just be yourself, be yourself, move at your own speed. If you're a funny person, try to interject a little humor. Or um, if if you are um, more like a reserved person, feel free to just let that let that come through your conversations. So um, yeah, sometimes there's a maybe practitioners of it. They might maybe just be trying a little bit too hard to like follow what they might think is like real straight epistemology. Uh, just you know. Ask questions, listen really closely, and uh, just try to be yourself would probably be my advice there. I have personally tried to do street epistemology, and I'm getting better, but my uh, I lack patience. <laughs> so <laughs> I find myself getting like wanting to just like start debating them instead yeah. of yeah. letting them explore, you know, why or how they've determined these things to be true. I start off really good mm -hmm. and then I just lose patience. So I'm working on it, I'm working on it. And um, I, I think it's really um, interesting what you said about the different personalities, because I think that's what I enjoy most. Like I started watching um, SE videos because of you, but then I discovered the other, um, you know, people who do them and um quarter curiosity and dan and ty and i mean uh, ben I, I watch all of the videos now and the the different personalities really urge everyone to just go check out the street epistemology um playlist um which i think john will probably drop in the chat oh. um just so you can explore like the different cre um content creators they're all fabulous and definitely check out the different guys they're they're great and uh, next, Chair Nation. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, what what are the limits of uh, street epistemology as you see it with your experience? For instance, are there categories of topics or questions specifically that uh, just break down almost every single time they're brought up? 
Or do you think that uh, if this occurs, that it's almost always simple user error? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's conceivable that a practitioner might think that there's a topic that just won't work for SE, but then another person can just sail right through it. There are some barriers to a good SE conversation, but it doesn't mean that the conversation ends. You can still explore the barriers. So like an example would be uh, if somebody thinks that truth is subjective, that hey, the person who believes in Allah and the person who believes in Vishnu and the person who believes in Jesus, they're all believing something that's true. They're, they have a right to believe that. And who am I to say that, that they, they can't believe that? This idea that, uh, that truth is relative uh, could be a really, well, it's a really big problem. But it doesn't mean that the conversation ends. You just have to shift where you go with the conversation. You might just have to dig deeper rather than rather than keep talking about a topic so uh, that might be one example um i'm trying to think of another another common thing that might come up is uh let's see sometimes we get hung up on words too there there are a lot of people who think that words have specific meanings and you can't deviate from what that word means if if the person is not willing to agree that humans define words and give words meaning, then you might have some problems down the road. So I, I'm not I'm not really aware of any topic that you can't use SE on. Um I, I guess I, I just to date haven't haven't really encountered anything like that other than maybe opinions. I like the my favorite ice cream is vanilla. S E me on that. Well that's just kind of ridiculous. So you you kind of want to you want to start with a factual claim about reality. If you have that, if somebody is asserting that they that they think something is true, then you can probably see it. I, I don't see uh, any limits to it. Okay, we have a question that is going to be read from Astrocar, and I. Not sure I exactly understand it. So if I get it wrong, um, you can put your correction of what I understand, Astrocar, and we'll ask it again. Um, there has been a recent change in teaching street epistemology while doing street epistemology. How is that working out in your opinion? And how many times have you been SE'd on SE? Oh, I'm not sure what they're referring mm -hmm. to. They might be referring to, uh, lately I've been, I've been asking people, especially if there's more than one person, if somebody wants to be the, the claimant, the person making the claim, and then if their friend wants to help me ask the questions. So I guess in that regard, I, I've been shifting to training. I'm trying to see SE is like, let me teach you how to do this with your friend type of thing. I also think it makes the, it helps the, the person making the claim maybe a little bit more comfortable if they have a friend who's asking the questions. So I think that might be what they're, what they're referring to. I do like to leave people not only thinking about the claim that they've made, but also I want to give them a magnet now. Like I, I have these magnets that I printed up. So in addition to a card where they can email me, I give them a, a magnet with the word street epistemology on it because I want them to look into it. I want them to learn the tool set so that they can continue 
asking themselves questions and maybe others in their family, that type of thing. So, uh, I think that might be what that's referring to. If not, uh, let me know. But yes, uh, shifting to training people uh, and showing them how to do this, well, it's been a big part of what I've been doing for the last several years. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I upload stuff. Yes, I want to help the person who has the belief and have them reflect on it, but there's a larger there's a larger goal here, and that's to show people how to do this. And that's, that's why we, a lot of us record this and put it up there. We want people to learn it and uh, challenge us on it and improve it, put their own spin on things. So yeah, training is a huge part of SE. Um, I just had a question kind of about the learning process. I know Ben put out that survey. Have you tried um, using the survey at all yourself? I know Ben has um, you asked some of the questions that he put together in the survey and his videos are actually really interesting yeah. um, about that. But I wondered if, um, if you put out a video and I missed it on uh, you using it. Ah, so the short answer to that is no, I have not tried Ben's. Uh, this is Ben Diesel. He's out of South yeah. Africa. He's out of South Africa and he's been going out and doing SE and he had the, I had an idea of coming up with some questions and asking people very basic stuff. I, I can't remember the questions. I think there's 20 of them, something like, is uh is real is the reality that you're experiencing the same for everybody are we all sharing the same reality uh can something be true uh what is I, just basic stuff like this like uh can something be true for one person but not true for somebody else like these these troublesome little pickles that we find ourselves in he's asking these questions up front and it's leading to some some very interesting answers and it's also really good for rapport building. And on top of that, if you feel really uncomfortable initiating a talk with a stranger or somebody else, like, and you don't have to, you don't have to initiate these talks. You can wait for them to happen naturally. I always have to say that. But um, if you're if you're intrigued by the idea of doing street epistemology on the street, uh, going out with a questionnaire like Ben has done, and I think it's downloadable somewhere. I think it's on the S, it's on the Street Epistemology website under resources, I think. Um, it is. Yeah, just, just asking people these questions or asking them, uh, you doing the, these little thought experiments, they're a really good way to get comfortable asking people to stop engaging with, with people in public and all the different personalities and, and <laughs> all the different personalities that are out there. Believe me, there's some, there's some wild ones. And getting comfortable with it and then once you're comfortable with that, you can shift to starting to actually challenge the claim that a person's making. So um, this is this is actually a really good example of an idea that we never would have conceived five years ago. These are things; these are ideas that are coming forward because there are people out in the field putting in their time, their sweat, money. It it, it actually costs the practitioners a little bit of money to go out and get equipment and and take a day off from work, for example, or a, or a weekend to go out and do this away from their family. Uh, but we're learning from it. And I think that's a really good thing. It's a great answer. And I want to tell all the guys who are in the chat that are um, street epistemologists, if you guys want to do one of these Q and A's um, sometime, you know, hit us up with a uh, message and uh, we'd love to have you on um, and have you on the hot seat. Um, so we're going to try um, DIR again. Uh, Dur, I'm actually unsure how to pronounce it. So if you could tell us, that'd be great. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. 
quite sweet. It's dur, but it doesn't really matter. You can say whatever. Um, so I had, well, one of my own questions, and the mods asked me to ask another question from someone who couldn't make it. That's okay. So my first question was, uh, with respect to theories of uh, epistemic justification, what's your preferred theory, and how do you reconcile it with arguments against that theory? Let me take that one first. Um, so when when Boghossian wrote his book, I think he wrote it for people just like myself. I, I don't have any background in epistemology or academic epistemology or philosophy. Um, I am, like the other guys handle here, a stay-at-home dad. Um, I, I've got some background in IT and, uh, and logistics and that type of thing. But... I guess one of the one of the things that tends to come up a lot in these conversations when somebody makes a claim is how can we figure out that it's really true? Is there a way that we can test it? So perhaps from that point of view, I'm probably approaching things from maybe an empiricist uh, empiricist point of view, uh, where how can we how can we measure and test this? How can we falsify it? If it's not true, how could we figure it out? That type of thing. And I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm of the position that if we can never discover that something is not true, we probably shouldn't have a high degree of confidence that it is. And, and that's where I try to approach things. I'm always a little baffled where people tend to make this more difficult than it is. We, we go through our lives all the time coming to conclusions about reality, but then when it comes to specific beliefs like these specific like sometimes these supernatural ones but these 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 big questions about reality like is there a higher power then people tend to equivocate and say well i'm justified in concluding that this is true and i don't even need evidence for it i can just assert that it's true or i can just i, I can just go off of a feeling that this is true and it's not even necessary to test it that type of stuff worries me and and i'm always a little i'm always a little perplexed at people who tend to seemingly make it more difficult than it is. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is a good reason to, to believe something that can't be tested, but it just doesn't seem like, uh, it just doesn't seem like it would be a good decision to make, especially if you want to believe things that are actually true. And what was your second point? Uh, the second question or, the, yeah. within the first question your second what was there a, well, i'm sorry was there i thought i answered the first one okay well um yeah so the second question the first question i was asking something a little different but that's, that's totally okay um second question was from a guy named at norman and he was basically asking um what's your view on the gettier problem and with respect to arguments like no false lemmas or modal conditions like sensitivity <laughs> i'd have to get refreshed on what the gettier dilemma is i think that's something like you could be believing something that's not uh, you could be believing that something you could be, you could believe something that's true for bad reasons still right like you could you could have come to uh, no not quite no okay it's talking about justified true belief so you're kind of on the right right mm. road but it's arguing mm. against the specific uh, sufficient conditions for knowledge and saying it's not sufficient. Do you need more? Oh God, I think that's kind of over my head. So I don't know if I could probably answer it adequately. Let me just put no it this, Let me just put it this way. Um, when we, 
when we're asking people about why they think something is true, uh, we tend to ask them their confidence on a scale from one to 10 or zero to 100 with the idea that if you discovered that uh, your reasons are poor and or the method that you're using to conclude that your reasons are solid is poor, then you should probably back off in terms of your confidence that the claim is true. Um, we're not saying, and this is really important, we're not saying that what you think is true is not true. Even if you can't come up with a good justification for it or a reliable process to get there. Um, however, what I think we, we do tend to say, or at least position it as that, uh, your confidence might need to be walked back a little bit. You might be too confident at what you think is true. If you have a poor reason for it or an unreliable process, that's about the best that I can do with your question there. I'm, I, I'm not a studied philosopher. No worries. Thank you, Adder. Uh, thank you for remuting as well. Um, now we're going to have one from the co-host, John, the stay-at-home atheist. Uh, hey, Anthony. Um, first of all, it's nice to hear another stay-at-home dad. Um, being in the South, that's one of those things that I get kind of cross looks about. Um, my question is actually... Uh, if you had to, I know this is kind of going to be a, a weird uh, question to answer, but how do you think it's best for someone to get into uh, doing street epistemology? It's something I have an interest in, but I don't really know where to start mm -hmm. apart from watching your videos, which is certainly helpful. But if you had any specific advice, um, I think that would be uh, awesome. Damn, that's a great question. And uh, nice to meet another stay-at-home atheist dad. Let's see. There are so many options. There are so many resources available today to get into SE. I think the first thing that I would direct somebody to who's never heard of it, or they, 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 they've, maybe they heard a little bit, a few rumblings about it, but want to learn more about it, would be to watch a few videos. And Janet had mentioned that there is a playlist that all the people who are, people from around the world who are generating SE related content, if there's a, an interview or they've actually done a, gone out with a questionnaire, that type of thing, they're putting their videos or we have people who are putting those discussions in that playlist and it's updated almost daily. Um, that would be a really, that would be a really good place to start. Participating in, in the, uh, in the street epistemology discord server or listening to stuff like this, asking questions is a really good way. Um, we have a huge footprint on Facebook. I think we're close. I'm sorry about that. I think we're closing in on probably 5,000 people in uh, in one of the four main street epistemology Facebook groups. And the Discord server that we have is growing. There are people, in fact, I was just doing it today. I, I was I was interviewing people live and I had a, an Apple AirPod in one of my ears and I was live streaming basically the audio of that conversation to the SE Discord server. That is a great way to learn how to do SE. And, and <laughs> sometimes I'll even turn to the audience and say, Hey, uh, I'm kind of, I'm struggling for a question here. What should I ask next? Where you could be giving me a question to ask. That's a good place to go. The street epistemology website is chock full of resources. There's Bogosian's app, which is called Atheos, where uh, you can practice. There's the street epistemology guide. 
oh my gosh, we have, um, I think there's a Reddit. I, I don't, I don't really participate in the Reddit too much, but, um, there's people chatting about it there, but, um, maybe, you know, one of the best ways to kind of get your feet wet is just to practice it using uh, social media text, even though it's not as good as face to face in my view. Um, you can practice it. Go to a news source, like I, like go to Fox News, go to their Twitter, and see who's having a conversation there. Find somebody who seems fairly reasonable, and ask if you can have a dialogue with them, and just practice there. That might be a really good way to do it. Um, we've done this in the past. We haven't done it in a while, but we uh, we've had we've held almost 20 different role play sessions where we would have a Google Hangout with the 10 people practicing the method and then uh, doing a you know sort of recap after this and there's even groups um, we're just about to post a blog post on the SE website there's a group in Russia where they meet I think monthly and it's a street epistemology meetup group and they have a good dozen to 20 people that are meeting monthly and they bring new people in and they're and they're practicing and they're watching videos and they're breaking them down and that type of thing so uh, my gosh there <laughs> There are so many resources out there today that there's probably something that would appeal to you. So just look around. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I just also want to kind of add to that, that um, the street epistemology guys in the Facebook group have also put together their um, suggested like startup kits. You'll often see the guys um, say, you know, here's like a basic setup of like a, you know, something to block the shade or to block the sun, uh, you know, a couple of chairs sometimes or these kind of cameras. And um, not everybody can afford the equipment that, you know, Anthony or Reed uses, but you might be able to afford, you know, somebody has like a their setup and they'll, they'll tell you how much it costs them to get started. And, and, and me, I found that really helpful to get an idea. I also wanted to add to that, that in the, in the SE Facebook group and even the SE Discord, most of the people who are posting questions or relating stories about an experience they had where they were using SE, they weren't going out and filming them and uploading them to YouTube. Um, the, the folks that do that are in a, in a small minority. Uh, most of the discussions in these different forums, these different communities, are of people who ended up using it because the Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on their door or they were at the dinner table and their mom made some kind of comment or that type of thing, or they're having trouble with the teacher who's making claims about, about woo, some sort of woo related claims. And they're looking for advice on how to engage with that person. Those are the typical kind of conversations or um, posts that are happening in these groups. And then the feedback that you get from, from hardened practitioners who've been doing this for, for a while, and even just new people who are looking at it from a different perspective. It's so valuable. So, gosh, um, yes, watch the videos, join the groups, and even just lurk. Lurk and read the conversations that the people who are learning this method and, pra and practicing it are talking about. And that's a really good way to learn it, too. Okay, we have a um, question that we're going to read from DA83. Um, Hi, Diago. Uh, there are like hundreds, if not thousands of videos, pictures, sounds about ghosts and the paranormal. Have you ever experienced anything related to it? And if so, what happened? I don't think I've ever had an experience that I would, I would say that that was a ghost. 
I can't even, th I can't even say that I had an experience where it was unexplainable and, you know, it was, it was so unexplainable and unnerving that I'm, I'm, I stay awake at night wondering what it actually was or anything like it just, it just hasn't really happened. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just haven't had it. So I, I you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to make anything up. It's kind of funny. Um, I was actually asked to like write a five minute ghost story for a, for a different podcast. And I'm, it's going on like three days now. And my, my mind is blank. I don't even know that how I would construct it. I might take conversation from somebody that I had a, you know, had a talk with where he actually thought that he was experiencing a ghost and I might build off of that, but I myself have not had an experience that I would say that was a ghost. If I did, I, uh, have you ever had anybody pick that as their belief? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it used to throw me when, when people said, you know, I don't want to talk about God, but I'd love to talk about the ghost experience that I had. I, I was like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know where to go with that kind of kind of conversation. Uh, it's I guess it's something that you learn when you practice it. But um, the, the 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 typical trajectory of a of a claim discussion, whether it's God or ghosts or karma or politics or whatever, is what do you think is true? Why do you think that that's true? And how did you determine that what you think is true is really true? And as long as you kind of follow that path, whether it's ghosts or whatever, um, you're going to probably have a good talk, especially if the person seems honest and open. So, <clears throat> no, I haven't had those experiences. I think it would be kind of neat to have an experience, but I, I would imagine that the the skeptical mind that I have, I would I would be curious, like, what is that scratching noise from under the bed? I can look under the bed and there's nothing there. Now I'm getting a cool draft. Where is that draft? Oh, there's that scratch again. Like what is going on? I don't think that I would just lead to coming up with an explanation. I would want to figure out what the answer was and I wouldn't take a position on it until I had a good reason to do so. That's what the, the logical brain of Anthony is telling you right now. And I don't know if that's how I would re react if, if, uh, if, you know, the lighting was different or I was in this, in this old house or the, as I was checking in, the person at the counter was telling me a story. You know, I, it's hard to say how I might react, but that's kind of how I, I imagine that I would react to that type of situation. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Anthony, we'll have to talk sometime about my call to talk heathen about living in a quote unquote haunted house. There's uh, that, that was a call I made to talk heathen before. Um, I did not believe it, by the way, um, but uh, it's an interesting story nonetheless. Okay, so I have another question from, um, you know, I'm going to probably mess up the name. I'll say Guga. Um, I, uh, street epistemology has been called atheist evan evangelization. While I consider the term to be quite ridiculous, it is true that the average layman, religious or not, barely has justification for the religious belief. Why in philosophy, academia, both sides seem to have more? So I guess the question is, is street epistemology atheist evangelization? Okay. Thanks for putting a question mark on the end of that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't actually see the, the question in there, but I'm guessing that's what that is. Probably. So we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, this this comes up a lot. Um, the word street in street epistemology doesn't help us very much, and a lot of people don't know what the hell epistemology is anyways. And when you look at the video examples, we're typically talking about God, and the practitioners of this are usually atheists. So I can understand how how uh, it can it can give, SE can give the perception that this is about atheist evangelizing. Let me let me add something to that though. Um, when you consider that most people who believe in supernatural things don't tend to have good reasons for it and tend to have really shitty methods for concluding that their justifications are good, are sound, I think a case could probably be made that, that uh, and, and this is probably why Boghossian titled his book the way that he did, A Manual for Creating Atheists, uh, because more than likely, if you believe in something spiritual or supernatural, depending on how you're defining those words, and and you participate in a conversation where somebody is using SE, if you are basing your conclusions on something other than testable evidence and a, and a repeatable, testable, reliable process, you very well may end up discarding your belief or lowering your confidence in it. So while in the past, I, I think I might, I might say something like, well, this is absolutely not uh, evangelizing for atheism because, you know, we're not, we're really concerned about any topic, any claim. It doesn't have to be about God. However, when you consider that it doesn't seem like religious folks or, or supernatural believers, believers in the supernatural, it doesn't seem like they have a good reason for it. So in a way, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the moniker kind of fits, but it's not necessarily the goal, um, and and huh, it, it's it's a complicated thing. I, I hope it kind of answers it. Yes, I I think uh, it can give the impression that that's what it is. SE really is more about um, testing the claims that that you're making about reality to see if they match, and if not, lowering your confidence in them. That's really all that it is. People get they they tend to think well that you're evangelizing for a position. I, I I think somebody could probably just as easily make the claim that you, that we're evangelizing for, for um, no ghosts. I don't know what the the a ghost. I don't know how to how to say what that is. But um, that's kind of that's kind of it. Like if if you think that something is true and you have a really good reason for it and uh, uh, your method that you use to conclude that that reason is solid you're probably going to be okay. It just seems to be the case that when it comes to these supernatural beliefs, they, they fail that test. Okay, so the clarifying question for this one was, have you considered applying street epistemology to atheists and agnostics who seem to have wrong reasons to justify their beliefs? And what would be a good way to do so? Mm. So I guess using SE on people who aren't religious. Okay. Yeah, no, S E is only for people who believe in God. So you, I'm just joking. Um, yes, of course you can use this for people who think that there are no gods or are atheist and they're skeptics and, uh, they, they're taking a strong position on something, whether it's political or they, they are adamant that they're the Christian God absolutely cannot exist or there's absolutely no God. You can of course use SE on those those claims. 
What I find interesting is that uh, just because somebody is skeptical, just because somebody is an atheist, doesn't mean that the method that they're using to come to other conclusions is reliable. So just ask them. Is, yeah, it's not uncommon for me to meet an atheist who thinks that they have a soul or that, oh, there's no gods, but karma is absolutely real or everything happens for a reason or they believe in the secret. If I just believe this hard enough, it can come true. Or they think that everybody can have their own truth. I don't believe in any God, but if somebody believes in God, then they're justified in concluding that that's true. So, um, of, of course, uh, regardless of where you stand on the, the claim that a God exists, it's, it's fair game. You can absolutely engage with people on those, on those claims. I think there's a playlist on my YouTube channel. I don't know how you'd find it. I have, I have a lot of playlists on there now. But uh, maybe if you, if you search within YouTube, uh, you'll probably find it. Uh, I think it's just called Atheists, where all the conversations that I've had with atheists, where I've used SE on their claim, whether they say that there's no God or they think they have a soul or whatever, uh, you can find them in that playlist. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And think about it. What a great way to kick the tires on your own beliefs. If Let's say I run into another atheist. Yes, use SE with another atheist because... In a way, you could be seeing your own view, so um, it's it's a healthy exercise. Yeah, proceed. I'm gonna throw one at you this real quick, and then we'll go to Mist Walker. What is one of your personal challenges when doing street epistemology on the trails? That's from Astrocar. One of my personal challenges when doing se on the trail. Hmm. Um, sometimes at the start of the conversation, the person struggles a little bit to select a claim because they're out there to do a walk. They're, they're going to a class or whatever. They weren't expecting to have the conversation. So sometimes just, um, getting a person to pick a topic could be challenging. Another thing, uh, that could be challenging to a practitioner is, is helping your conversation partner feel comfortable, especially if you plan on recording it. So greeting them with a smile, uh, explaining exactly what you intend to do. Let them know that they can, uh, they can, uh, I won't use the footage if you don't want me to, this type of thing, encouraging them to pick a topic, um, helping a person feel comfortable. Uh, another challenge too is if there's more than one person, either asking the other person to stand off to the side while I engage with somebody or making them, asking if they want to help me out, that type of thing. Um, most of the challenges that I have these days, God, this is going to sound arrogant. It's not usually with me, um, like figuring out what question to ask, because when you do this enough, figuring out what kind of question to ask and how to drill down, down, down to the, to the foundation, it just kind of, it starts to come naturally. So most of the challenges I have are with, um, you know, people picking a topic or sometimes technical stuff. Like, oh, damn, the battery of my camera overheated again. Like, uh, hold on a second. I need to switch up my camera. Those types of things. Uh, and then don't get me started on, on the whole editing and uploading. That's that's kind of a nightmare. Uh, and maybe just finding the time to do it. Like, uh, you know, finding time to get all my equipment ready and going out there and having some chats and, and that type of thing. But uh, this comes with practice. The more often you do it, uh, the more natural it will come.
And here's the thing, like, yes, I go out and I initiate chats and I occasionally upload a video of, of a chat that was really interesting and possibly educational for the viewers. But I got to tell you, my favorite talks are when they come up organically. You know, I'm literally in an Uber and somebody, the driver makes a claim and we've already built rapport and we've been chit chatting about the weather and sports and why I'm out there or whatever. And, you know, for 10 minutes, and then we can get into examining that person's claim. That's so, that's so exciting when you can have a natural conversation. Okay. Sorry. I was kind of rambling there. I, I have a question. Um, do you mind going a few minutes? Because we still have some people who want to get to their question and oh, we're yeah. almost out of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't realize we just had an hour. I'm sorry. But yeah. Uh, well, that's that's typical. But if you can go over, that'd be great because we have quite a few people. Yeah. Um, who I, still have questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's try to. Um, them. Okay, try, so um, I also wanted to. Oh no, no, no! It's not nothing. I just want to make sure that you're okay with going a little. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, my uh, my other question is: uh, Do you ever get recognized? Um, no, besides me fangirling at American Asia, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm on the trail. It's usually, it's usually at a conference, you know, that type of thing or at, at an airport. There was one time, there was one time about a year ago that I was getting, I had to give blood. I needed some blood work done and the guy that was drawing my blood was, he recognized me from Periscope because I was Periscoping quite a bit. So that was a little unnerving, but um, it doesn't happen too much. Um, okay, no. great. Thank so, you, so, Miss yeah, Walker. Doesn't, oh, doesn't really I'm sorry. Yeah. Great. Miss Walker's turn. Uh, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Yes. So I recently saw a video about somebody who goes out um, with hot button belief statements and challenges passersby to change their mind. Um, so they'll like set up a table and have conversations. Yeah. And uh, I found it frustrating to watch because the setup seemed to be in bad faith, and the people that tried speaking just got their they just got slaughtered. <laughs> um, so I guess the question I, I put out to you is like, do you have any tips on recognizing no win conversations and like, how do you, how do you navigate that sort of stuff? Well, okay. That's a good question. I don't know if I'd agree with the premise that it's a no win situation. If I were to encounter, is it Steven Crowder? Like, yeah, he, he has these tables. Number one, I, I've, I've only, okay. I've only watched like one or two of those because they're so chaotic and crazy it makes me sick and i can't even watch it but it's a what you cut out i'm sorry it may, it's it's so chaotic and crazy that it it, right. it makes me sick and i don't want to even watch it um the the people okay there, there's a lot of things wrong with that setup for one thing um it's it's usually in public there's a there's usually a gathering um people tend to get very emotional about the subject and then they just try basically throwing facts or their opinions at this person. Uh, that's, that's at least what I've seen. What, what I would do, if, if I were to encounter somebody like that, and, and, and I, I had to sit down and talk to them, I would ask questions. The way to change a person's mind is to ask them questions about how they got there. How did you form your mind in the first place? And I don't see anybody asking and again, I haven't watched a lot of these, but I, I get, I got the sense that 
people are not asking Steven Crowder how he formed his views. If they did that, if they did that, if they, if they were familiar with SE and they were disciplined enough to not let their emotions carry them away, they would have, they would have a good conversation. Um, yeah, I think you said something about like uh, unwinnable conversations. Like, I think that's the wrong way of, of and I'm working. not saying that that I, I'm not saying that that was, I can't say if this person's mind could be changed or not, but you know, sometimes, you know, when you're in a conversation with somebody and we're not going to get anywhere, they're just really dug in deep and it's, mm. it's not about having a, a good faith conversation. Mm. Yeah. That, that can happen even with somebody on the trail or, you know, going to class or whatever, it could become apparent that they, um, the belief holding, maintaining the belief is so important that they, that they won't entertain the possibility that they're mistaken. That, that could be a huge barrier. I mean, that's like such an obvious thing, but that that's a, that's a huge barrier to helping a person reflect on their belief. If they're just abstinent and they're like, there's just no way I could be wrong on this. Um, and then it could be very frustrating for the questioner too, because you're like, gosh, like, why are they so dug in? Um, sometimes just shifting gears a little bit to talking about somebody else who might be just as intractable, but on a different view, you know, not even talking about the person that is, is, is so dug in, but talking about other people that are dug in or just talking about the liabilities that can come from being dug into a position where you're not even discussing the claim. You're just more talking about, um, openness and a willingness to change one's mind and the fallibility of human brains, that type of thing. Uh, so yeah. I guess I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand. So you're saying that try and talk about another person who's been mm -hmm. dug in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you encounter and, somebody who's very closed. Yeah. Like uh -huh. I, I run into a lot of street preachers who they're just so sure they have the right God. Uh, having a talk about somebody who believes in a completely different God and is just as sure they're correct. Like, how do you think we can get okay. through to a person like that? Like, what advice would you have to get through to somebody who is who is really dug in and think that they're correct, uh, but they're believing in the incorrect God? The advice that they give you for getting through to that person might be the way that you can proceed with them. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to remute Miss Walker. And the okay, so I have a question uh, from Astrocar. It says, when you ask the scale and try to give a calibration by saying zero equals x and a hundred equals y, how much do you think the interlocutor changes their scale in their own head throughout the conversation? In short, how accurate do you think the scale? Damn, that's a good question. Damn, that's a good question. Oh, did you want to add something to it? I heard, I heard a voice or something. Okay. I'm going to, I'll just go with that. Uh, well, the scale is a semi-desperate attempt to get a handle on how sure somebody is that what they think is true is true. I could be explicit in what the scale means. And we can even do an example. Uh, I, I'm going to make a claim that I own a Ferrari. How sure are you from zero to 100 that that's a true statement? And then they make a claim and I can bring up the scale again. And in their mind, they could have completely switched the parameters of the scale, the values. And now it's not, it's not a confidence that it's true. It's, 
desire to be true or it's um it's a my allegiance to the idea that it's true there there can be all these different discrepancies i don't know i don't really know any other way around it other than to kind of revisit the scale every once in a while and and maybe remind people of what the of what the scale represents um it's sloppy it's it's not the best tool that's out there but it, I think it's a good starting point and it's something that you can try to revisit every once in a while and just make sure that you're on, you're on the same page. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how we can improve that tool. Um, <laughs> when we first started doing the scale, we wouldn't even give parameters. We just like, where are you on a scale from one, zero to 100 that that's true. And then we'd leave it up to the person in their mind to pick what that criteria is and they weren't letting us know what their criteria was. So it was kind of a mess. So I think we're improving a little bit as far as the criteria. Maybe this could be one of those things that gets standardized. Like, you know, if there is some formal SE structure defining exactly what we mean by this scale. So there's consistency. Um, as SE grows, there will, there will be more and more practitioners, practitioners of it. It's conceivable that I could run into somebody, have a conversation with them, and three weeks later, they run into another person using SE. There could be some advantages into, into um, standardizing the scale to keep people on the same thing uh, just for consistency. But yeah, it's one of those things that's a little sloppy, but it's just sort of a, a best attempt to get a starting point. Good question. Hey, thank you. I, um, that was actually a really great question. Um, Von Bonn wants to know, you've mentioned truth a few times now. What theory of truth do you follow? Well, I'm of the position that uh, truth mm -hmm. is objective and that uh, truth is that which is, is concordant with reality. That uh, what I think is true uh, has to be the same for everybody. It can't just be true for me. Uh, it has to be consistent regardless of where I'm standing or, or what century I, I was born in uh, or what language I speak, that, that we're all sharing the same reality and we're sharing the same truth and that, um, that, uh, that this should be testable. All right, that if, if I think that there's an even number of pieces of candy in the container that we should be able to figure out what that is. And if it's, if it's impossible to figure out how many are in there, then we shouldn't, Oh, sorry. I just happened to hit my GoPro camera accidentally. Um, that we shouldn't. Did you have us on the timer? No, I didn't. I just, I just bought my GoPro. Uh, oops, sorry about that. Um, they're very sensitive, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's kind of where I stand on it, that, uh, it would be chaos if truth could be whatever we wanted it to be. Uh, it would be dangerous to, to, that I can just make something true in my mind and have it true in reality. Uh, it just doesn't seem like that's, that's how things work. And that's, that's kind of a frightening concept to me. Okay, we have Secular25 who wants to ask a question. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Hello. Hello. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Not bad. So basically my question was that um, 
given that you're an atheist and that atheism is a very strong position, so when someone's an atheist, they're not just rejecting a specific God, they're rejecting all gods. So I would ask you, what's your justification for rejecting any God whatsoever? Mm, okay. Uh, I, under, under, I understand your question. Uh, when you say rejecting God, it, it seems... Uh, the, the, the sense that I'm getting from the way that you're phrasing your question is that I'm ruling out the possibility that it can't be true. Um, so I don't know if you're saying that or not, but just let me be clear. I'm open to the possibility that there is a God. It's, it's conceivable. I just don't see a good reason to take a stance on it. I don't see a reason to believe in any no. gods. So I wasn't really referring to the possibility here, just like, just in the actual world, since your position would be presumably that you, you think there, that there are no gods at all, right? That's right. That's a good way of putting it. So I was wondering what the justification for that, I would say, rather than the possibility aspect. Really just kind of comes down to uh, the lack of a of a justification to conclude otherwise. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Pine Snake has another question. Pine Snake. <laughs> Go ahead, Pine Snake. I love that name. <laughs> I thought you might. Um, this one's more of a personal question. Uh oh. Um, for me, music is a way to either get myself going or to calm down. I just wondered if there's any music in particular that gets you revved up when you're feeling slow or when you've had a hard day to calm down again. Mm. And if it's not music, what would it be that does that for you? Uh, thank you for the question. So uh, what calms me down or relaxes me? It's not music. I don't listen to music. And it, it, it uh, I have members of my family that love music and they listen to it all the time. If it's on in the car, I might listen to it. I'm, I'm going to a concert. I'm going to go see Drake this weekend in Houston, um, mainly because my son plays it all the time and, you know, he needs some supervision. But <laughs> um, I mean, I, I listen to music a lot, like, when I was younger, but these days there's so much more interesting content to get wrapped up in. Okay. So what calms me down? It's not music. Um, I mean, I love going for a walk. I love walking through my neighborhood or, or hiking on a trail uh, near my house, a different one that I, that I might do my talks at. Um, That's cruel. Stay at home. Atheist is yeah. asked if you pray. What's that? Stay at home, atheist. Asked if you pray I don't, to calm down. No, I don't pray, and I don't. I don't do any mindful meditation. Although I did, I did just. Uh, I have the new uh, app by Harris that I want to try out. Maybe that will help. But I mean, I'm kind of a laid back, chill kind of person right now. It doesn't take a lot to rile me up. So I don't drink really a lot. I've only recently started experimenting like with marijuana and like THC, the liquid, like the liquid part of it, uh, exercise and 
chilling in the hot tub. That sounds kind of weird, chilling in the hot tub. But relaxing in the hot tub, uh, doing yard work around the house. I love that, but it's it's not music. Music, music seems. It's it's a distraction. It's it's like uh, I don't know. I, I I'm there's so much good content. I feel like I'm missing out when I get wrapped up in music. Okay. Well, thanks for answering the question. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for asking it. Okay, we have a question from Shadow who wants to. Oh, you broke up there. Oh, was that me? Did I just get dropped? Uh, no, you're still here. Um, Jan seems to have stopped talking, so okay. uh, I'll ask the question just in case she's not back uh, quickly. Shadow wants to know, um, when using street epistemology in some cases, for example, in dealing with politics, how do you deal with people who use generalizations, stereotypes, or just hypocritical reasoning? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you're going to encounter that a lot, whether it's about a political discussion or a claim about reality where they think that the supernatural is real or whatever you're going to, th these are things that you're going to run into all the time. So it doesn't, it doesn't limit itself to politics. The, the, the best advice that I have is try to remind yourself why you're engaging in the talk with a person about their claim in the first place. And if it's to help them reflect on the process they use to get there, then uh, you'll start to identify the pitfalls in the conversation that you probably want to avoid. Yeah, they, they may have used a racial slur there, or they, they insulted me because I don't believe in a God, and they said that you can't be moral without a God. These types of things um, can really derail a conversation, and if you can, try to set it aside for the for the purpose of exploring the process they use to get to their conclusion. Um, I did write a blog post on kind of related to this on the SE website. It's called something like how to stay calm when using street epistemology. And I think there's some good tips in there. And Janet is. Um, do you have an app, Anthony? Do I have an at Anthony, like on Twitter or something? An app. Oh, an app. I'm sorry. I thought you said an at Anthony. Uh, I don't have. <laughs> well, no. you, can, you can go ahead and plug your Twitter if you'd like that. <laughs> That's okay. Just search for my name on Twitter. You'll find me. Um, I do not have an app, but I, I had the, the pleasure of working with several people, including Peter Bogosian, on developing an app called Atheos, A-T-H-E-O-S. And it works on Android and Apple devices where you can learn street epistemology. And that was fun. That was a fun okay, little project. Great. Yeah. And, um, okay. Cause we had a question about if they were still updating it, but it's, it, you don't, you don't own that app or, or involved in that part of it. Right. Well, I, I was involved in creating a lot of the content for it and, and updating the content, uh, that type of thing, managing the contributors content. But no, I, I don't think it's been updated lately. I don't know if I don't know if there are any plans to update it. Okay, thank you. And then the um, I think we're down to our last question, and it's going to be from Tavin. Hello there. Uh, let me just scroll up to what I asked. Okay. Okay, so the question is. 
what is your criteria for what counts as evidence? And why should the religious people or the religious folk accept uh, arbitrarily stringent methods posed by the opposition atheists to arrive at truth? Hmm. Okay. I suck at two-part questions, so I might need you to remind me if, if I don't yeah, cover. I'll, I'll, I'll start with, um, so what is your criteria for what counts as evidence? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Ferrari example that, that we tend to use. I think I mentioned it, um, or was it earlier when I did a Discord, where um, you, you, you make a claim with somebody that you own a, an expensive car. And this came from Science Pete. Shout out to Science Pete for the idea. Um, and it's interesting how many people will say, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll put that at like 80% that you own a Ferrari just because you said it. Uh, whereas if, if somebody were to ask me the same claim, I would probably like put it really low unless there was a good reason to do so. So I, I, always, I find it really interesting that, that humans tend to weight evidence differently. So for example, a personal experience, um, Hmm. So I'm getting to your, I'm, I'm kind of getting to it, but um, okay, I, I'll just jump to it. I guess what, what, what I really wanted to touch on though is that humans tend to vary greatly when it comes to what they call sufficient evidence. I prefer to think that my bar for evidence is a little high, uh, but not so high where like I'm just, I'm unreasonable and I'm jaded and I'm a cynic. So so I'm willing to accept the idea that a God exists or something if there was evidence for it. Um, what do I consider good evidence? I would say something that's demonstrable to me but other people where it could be confirmed, it could be tested, uh, it could be repeated so that uh, somebody else who was interested in finding out if this was true can, can mimic the experiment and come to a similar conclusion. Um, that I think probably is I guess in a nutshell as far as what I would consider evidence. Then the second part of that. Um, hello? Yeah, did you want to, um, was there a second part? To okay. Did I answer it? Well, okay, well, part of the reason I asked the question was it's kind of like um, a necessary precondition to the actual question. It's because uh, you've already laid out that it you have stringent requirements for what counts as evidence. So the question, next question would be, would you say that's arbitrary? Oh, would I say my, my, uh, my criteria for evidence is subjective? Um, yeah, I, th I think it is subjective in that, uh, I mean, we, it, it's definitely subjective because my criteria is going to probably be different than yours. But it doesn't mean that, um, that we can, that the conversation ends. Like, I think the, the discussion can shift to why why am I putting perhaps a higher bar on what evidence uh, is available to conclude that that's true and maybe somebody else has a lower bar or my bar is a little bit lower than somebody else's. Um, but yes, I think probably when it comes down to it, it probably is subjective. Like, you know, I talked about testing. Um, somebody who might be, who might also require a testing component to it might be fine with the test being repeated three times. I might require it to be tested ten times, that type of thing. So you're gonna you're gonna probably see some sub subjectivity, I think, when it comes to the quality of the evidence 
that somebody might demand uh, before concluding that something is true to a relatively high degree of confidence? So um, the, the reason I asked it is because if you say it's objective, then what is the reason why someone should accept something that is objective? Well, if, if I, if I think I explained that the subjectivity comes to the degree with which the, um, I guess the quality of the evidence that you're putting out there, um, it's, well, the evidence, well, is, you just made a circular argument. Um, you said it's based on the quality of evidence, mm -hmm. but your evidence is contingent on the criteria, which is also arbitrary. So mm. it's circular. Well, I mean, is, is there a way to test something and come to a conclusion that it's true, but... Oh, no, oh, no. I'm, I'm a global skeptic. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm asking you the question. It's, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Well, I was just sort of... This wasn't actually a question to you, but it was more like a... I guess more just a broad general question of me talking out loud that um, could it, you know is is it possible to to conceive of a test that you know when when we develop the criteria for a test usually we can specify what our hypothesis is and what what would constitute a success and a failure I don't see how that would differ between two different people what I'm saying that that. What I'm saying is that would be different between two different people would be perhaps the the robustness of the tests required. And like I gave the example of like, well, I might require three tests and somebody else might require 30 tests, for example. Right. Um, but then that poses the problem is because, of, because different people have different presuppositions. Wouldn't it be fair to say that the theists have a right to stick to their arbitrary views? People have a right to believe whatever they want, I suppose. And as we discussed before, people are going to have all sorts of different criteria as far as what constitutes sufficient evidence for them. I think probably the, the classic example is, you know, I had a personal experience with it, with what I think is a God, or let's even say a ghost. Um, we kind of talked about ghosts earlier. Even if I had a similar experience, uh, th there's just probably something in my nature that wouldn't go. I, I just, I just don't think I would say, "Oh, that had to have been a ghost." Like I felt the cool breeze, I heard the clicking on the bed. That has to be the answer. Um, I'm always amazed at it how people come to those conclusions based on something that I wouldn't call sufficient evidence. I'm getting the sense that I'm not answering your question to your satisfaction, and I, I don't really know what else to add to that. Okay, I think that was the last question we had. Oh, darn. Um, I wanted to see if you had any closing comments or, or questions um, of anything that was asked. We could try to get some clarification, or if you would like to make some closing comments, that would be great, too. Oh, well, um, gosh, the, the question that's sticking out to me the most is, is I think happened near the start where we were talking about where has SE come in the last five years and where do we think it's, it's going? Um, you know, kind of trying to end on a, on a real positive note here. Um, 
engaging in conversations like this with folks about street epistemology and what constitutes sufficient evidence and what would change your mind and what topics are off limits or on limits and, and suggestions for getting better at this. These are all very, very useful. This is, this is a great use of, of, of my time and the people who are practitioners of this. And, and this was great. This is the kind of dialogue that I'd, I'd like to see continue. And, uh, and, it's actually continuing. Um, we, we have a, a, a Discord server for street epistemology. And I think I'm, I see some messages on the SE Discord server that are probably sending people over here. So I'd like to extend the invite that people come over and engage with us about SE. Um, we often SE SE because we want to make sure that we're building something uh, rigid, not rigid, um, <laughs> that we're building something very um, robust and weathered and tested and that actually helps people and uh i'm really glad to have been a part of this wonderful discord what an amazing turnout of people too this has really been great yes it was the highest um question and answer segment we've ever had highest attended hey look at that we're very happy to have had you come and i'm a huge fan so i appreciate the time that you've given us and uh learned some new things and um, my daughter had one final last question, highly important. What's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, I think blue. I, I tend to like picking color, like shirts that are blue. Uh, if you see me like in an interview or like on the show, I usually am wearing some sort of blue shirt. So that's probably my favorite color. And uh, Janet, I wanted to thank you for putting this on and all the work that you do behind the scenes. Uh, you kick ass. I, I see you moderating almost Thank you. every show, and you do so much. And it was really cool meeting you in person at uh, at the convention this past April. You know, I I totally fangirled. I'm just telling you, when you walked by, I was like, "Oh my God, that's Anthony Magnuska!" <laughs> you know, so I, I had to be calmed down. Eric was like, "Calm, it's okay, calm down." So yes, Eric, uh, it, it was. Eric is great, but yeah, he, he definitely had to calm me down. I was like, oh my gosh. And then he's like, do you want me to enter? I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. To <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready to meet him yet. That's funny. So I, I am, I've been watching your videos for a long, long time. And, um, I actually, uh, everybody tune into the story or not, but, um, I actually used uh, this on my, uh, street epistemology on my nephew, mm. um, who, um, he suffers from uh, paranoid schizophrenia and uh on the ocd spectrum and um his mother has him in a uh, pentecostal church and if you're familiar at all with pentecostal churches they believe in demons and possessions and things like that and it's not very healthy for him to have you know hold these beliefs so it goes beyond just not wanting him to believe in things that are untrue you know goes into the realm of not wanting him to believe and things that could cause him and um i've started to use street epistemology with him because i truly want to gently question his and 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 unlike a stranger i want to do it gently because i want to maintain a friendly loving relationship with my nephew mm -hmm. and um it really has helped me um to show him that maybe he should start questioning some things and i just wanted to i mean it really is a credit to you and your all of your um content creators that are in the street epistemology group 
to give me ideas of ways to to just gently do that and um we've made progress and he has actually started to question things and um i just can't thank you enough for that so i really really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart really, Damn, really do thank you so much janet thank you for well wow, thank you for relating that story that's that's really incredible yeah this um well this topic came up earlier this this idea of not only learning how to use it and using it like right you could you can learn it but we need people to implement it and then the other part of that is to teach people about it there are resources out there we want people to learn it and use it and share it and uh and wield it it's a, it's a great tool that we want everyone to learn and use so uh thank you so much again it for really is the wonderful opportunity to be to be here and chat with everybody really appreciate it and we have one more request uh everyone should watch truth wanted um hosted by objectively dan fridays on um the truth wanted youtube channel at seven central i think right is that right seven yeah i think so uh is, yeah seven and um so there you go dan there's your plug everybody should watch it and uh hopefully somebody can put the link in in chat if not i can do it in a little bit oh it's it's six dan's screaming it's six sorry six central seven my time that's what it is <laughs> i'm i'm on eastern east coast so i always get this and from what i understand so, um, from what i understand about his show he's uh he's open to talking about all different types of topics as well it doesn't have to be about god's existing Right. Yeah. Um, he, his show is great. If, if people haven't called yet, they really need to tune in and call him because first of all, he couldn't be a nicer guy. I also met him at the last uh, American Atheist Convention. And um, that was before he was like a big time, you know, so he was a little more humble than no, just kidding. Dan's a great guy. And um, you should definitely call um, and, you know, talk to him and, and try it. You know, try to uh, see, you know, if he can use a little street epistemology on you. But I'm telling you, it's a great show, and uh, everyone should check it out. Support Dan. For sure. And he's he's really and, tied. And um, I thank you for, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying that Dan is really tied into the SE community. And if you have SE-related questions, like you're, you're planning to have a conversation with somebody, you need some advice, like how can I prepare for this? You can um, you know bring up your concerns there, and I, I I would imagine he'd be very happy to go over that with you. Yes, and um, we'll drop the links again in the chat for the Street Epistemology Facebook group, the um, playlist, um, Anthony's channel, all of that. You know, we'll we'll make sure that everyone has access to that. And since Anthony so kindly offered um, to join his Discord, we'll put that in there as well. So everyone can uh, check out street epistemology and start using it because it is the best way, in my opinion, to challenge people's beliefs. So thank you so much for your time, Anthony. We've really enjoyed having you here and um, everyone tune in. Thanks, Thanks, Anthony. Thank you so much. This was really fun. And yes, we hope to see you over at the SE Discord and uh, reach out to us where the practitioners of this are usually accessible and uh, we want to hear your ideas. So please reach out. Thanks so much, Janet, for putting this together. Thanks. Please. Love it. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.